Lord has given me a gift. Only one. I am the most complete fighter in the world. Hello and welcome back to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. I'm your host, Mike Scott, on this journey through the career of one of the most exciting action stars of our time. This week, we're diving into the first proper British action film Scott did, a sequel to the film that put Lexi Alexander on the map. That's right, we're talking Green Street 3, the 2013 James Nunn film. And to help me talk that is this week's champion, DTV Digest's Richard Hawes. And as always, Scott will be joining me to talk about his experience making the film. So let's get into Green Street. someone to lead us back to the top. Tell me about your brother. Somebody knows what happened to my brother. The only way I'm going to find out is if I get back in. Good luck with that. To the governor, Danny. Entire fucking thing is now underground. That's a big good football league. I'll find out who did it. And I'll fucking end them. You got nothing, you little fucking slack! We are the Green Street Elite. And we will be the number one firm again. Green Street, or Green Street Hooligans in the U.S., was a 2005 film directed by Lexi Alexander. It tells the story of Matt, an American college student played by Frodo himself, Elijah Wood, who falls in with the football firm supporting West Ham United, the Green Street Elite. The firm is led by Pete, played by Pacific Rim's Charlie Hunnam, and through the joys of fighting after football games, Matt learns the confidence he was sorely lacking. The film stars a heavy hitter lineup of UK actors including Claire Forlani, Mark Warren, and Ross McCall. The film wasn't a huge success at the box office, but it became a cult hit on both sides of the pond and established Alexander as a director worth paying attention to. She would go on to direct Marvel's Punisher Warzone and piss off lots of people on Twitter. Like most cult hits, the DTV era means it was a bankable name, which means sequels. The first was 2009's Green Street 2 Stand Your Ground, which sees McCall reprising his character from the first film and finding the bad football blood carries through even to prison. Green Street 2 is most notable for its director, the great Jesse V. Johnson, shortly before he begins his run of great collaborations with Adkins. Although, as you will hear from Scott, nobody involved in Green Street 2 really thinks it's that great of a movie, and I would be inclined to agree with them. This takes us to 2013 when we get Green Street 3 Never Back Down or Underground here in the U.S. Taking over directing duties is James Nunn, another member of the British New Wave of Action. Nunn was fresh off his terrific thriller Tower Block about residents of an apartment complex being picked off by a sniper. Tower Block is a low-budget but tense thriller and well worth checking out. 
With that success, he found himself taking over the Green Street franchise and teaming with Adkins for the first time. Adkins plays Danny Harvey, the former leader of the Green Street elite, who left to avoid trouble with the law and turn his life around. Unfortunately, his brother became the new leader and winds up dead. Like all good brothers, Danny returns home to figure out what happened to punch whoever needs to be punched. Once home, he finds out that unlike in the past, the firms no longer engage in brawls at games, but have instead organized underground fighting tournaments to hopefully fly under the radar of the cops. GSE is struggling, so in addition to finding out what happened to his brother, Danny has to take the reins and help the GSC fight their way to the top. Green Street 3 also stars the great Joey Anza as Danny's best friend who's gone legit and joined the police. As you hear when I talk with Richard, I am a fan of this movie. But before we get to that, let's hear what Scott has to say. All right. Uh, so next, let's talk about one that I've actually kind of really been waiting to talk to you about. Because as you know, we talked about it before. I have sort of a theory that the UK is doing really great action right now and there's a handful of people doing it and one of those people is James Nunn and you worked with him on Green Street 3. So let's talk a little bit about that one. How did that come about? Um, yes. So yeah, it was interesting actually because... James Nunn, the director, reached out to me and said he was interested in me for, for a film. And so I met up with him and we had a good meeting. And then he ended up saying, we got chatting and I said I was going to the Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas for the Universal Soldier was going to play there. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm going there as well. I, I've got a tower block who's screening. So I, all right, cool. Um, end up seeing him on the plane. Uh, or at the airport when we landed there. And we spent the whole weekend together um, after we'd decided to, to do Green Street. And so that was really cool that I got to hang out with him and spend some time with him. And, you know, he hung out with me and John and everything. We went to watch Tower Block and he came to watch Universal Soldier. And yeah, it was a good experience. And I love James. He's a great guy. Very started off as a, as a first assistant director. So really understands filmmaking inside and out. Did a, Brilliant job with Tower Block, a great British movie. Uh, launched the career of, uh, oh, what's his name now? Great actor from Nottingham. In a way, it will come to me. He was in that Angelina Jolie directed film when there were. Jack O'Connell? Jack O'Connell, yeah. Jack O'Connell. Um, anyway, so that was cool. And so. Yeah, I've done, I'm English, but at this point, every time I do some, something, it's, it's in a different country. I mean, okay, I did Mile High and some TV stuff, but I ne never make English movies, um, don't make any action films in England. It's like I'm always in a different country. And uh, I got, got the chance to do Green Street. So um, I thought the concept was good. Originally, it wasn't Green Street 3. It was going to be Green Street Submission, like a spin-off. And the idea was it'll be like football hooligans getting together to have a five-a-side, but not with the football, but on each other's faces, have a bit of a straightener, which it turns out they turned into a sport in Russia, and you can watch it on YouTube. It's pretty. It's worth a watch. It's good stuff. So it wasn't as far-fetched as, as people wanted you to think. But this was definitely going to be more of a 
you know, the original Green Street is, yeah, it's a serious, serious film. It's not the best football hooligan movie. For me, that's ID. That's the best English football hooligan movie. Uh, but yeah, it was, that, it was that sort of vibe. And so I, I was into it, man. I uh, worked on that accent diligently. Um, really got into character. Really enjoyed the experience with, with James Nunn. Really enjoyed working with other English actors. Um, Joey came on as the fight coordinator. And it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience. My, my one regret and the, the mistake that was made was, you know, I mean, I, I'm me and I'm known for doing martial arts films, but this was not a martial arts movie. But in my head, I wanted me to have some martial arts experience and Big Spen Wilding, who's the bad guy, his character to have martial arts experience and everyone else around us to just be hooligans. And I felt that would have made it more realistic. And, you know, I start fighting with kickboxing and he starts fighting with kickboxing, but everyone else just fights normally. Um, but Joey got a bit carried away and wanted everyone to go all kung fu on it, which I thought was a mistake. And um, I probably should have piped up a bit more at the time. I felt that it shouldn't be happening but ultimately that's uh, james's decision uh, as director but yeah given the chance to do it again that's what i would have done i think ultimately that made it less realistic which was a shame because i do like the film i think we did a good job with it and i think james is a great director um i think just me and spence should have been doing martial arts and no one else and it would have been a lot better for it well, I, I do agree with you. I really like the film. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it does somewhat fall in a little bit of this weird nether realm where it's not kind of this super gritty, punchy, punchy movie like, the, like Lexi's first Green Street is. But yeah. it's also not a full-blown martial arts movie. Because it doesn't quite go, you know, even though you and Spence and Joey and, and everybody's doing martial arts, you don't go, you know, it's not undisputed. It, it doesn't go whole in. <clears throat> the first time I saw it, that was something that was a little weird to me. Now I've seen it a couple of times and I've gotten more accustomed to it because I do think it's, it's still, as a character piece, I think it's pretty pretty damn good man like i think it's you've got a great character in it you and joey and i do want to talk to you a little bit in a second about joey you and joey have really great chemistry you've got really great chemistry with casey clark uh she was casey barnfield at the time and uh i think as a character piece it's it's really entertaining and i do think that's one of the things that james does because tower block has some fantastic character work in it yes james is a really good director and we're talking about doing something in the future hopefully fingers crossed um yeah no i i like i like the film as well and yeah it was a, it was a character piece and i really got into that part um 
as I say, it's just, yeah, it's neither one thing nor the other. It's somewhere in between. That was the, what we should have done was made it much grittier because that was the world we were in. It was down and dirty and that would have been in keeping with the other movies. And, you know, it's, it wasn't far-fetched. People say, ah, that, this would never happen. Actually, it wasn't that far-fetched because they started doing that in Russia. And, you know, th that's what they would do. These hooligans, they would have straighteners. One team would meet up with another team and, you know, about 30, 40, 50 people, hooligans would meet up in a park and have a scrap. Well, I didn't feel that it was that far away from reality that they might organise it a bit more and say, look, five of your best versus five of ours. Let's, let's get a league table up and go for it. And they ended up doing that in Russia. You can see it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, me and Joey are good friends, good mates. I've been for a long time now. He's, he's a good guy. You get on really well. Well, and I, I love, uh, you know, Joey's dream project of Street Fighter doing uh, Assassin's Fist and, and that he actually made that happen. You know, people that listen know I'm a big fan of YouTube indie martial artists, people like Brian Sloyer and Eric Jacobus. And I love that Joey made that happen and that he brought so many of the people uh that he did to it uh and so i just uh i just wanted to take this opportunity to say that i i think joey's terrific and i he's another person like matt mullins that i cannot believe is not a household name uh because i just think he's absolutely terrific yeah no he's great man and um uh, yeah, Chris, Christian was in Green Street as well, wasn't he? The from Street Fighter. Yeah, he uh, was. He was. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, Joey's a great guy. Well, you know, look, he's in the Old Guard recently on Netflix, and uh, he's got some other interesting stuff coming up. But yeah, he's a very smart guy, is Joey? Very clever, very on the ball. Um, really knows what he wants. And uh, for him to have got the rights for Street Fighter, which essentially started out as like a YouTube short, and to have got the rights to, to have made that, that TV series and direct it as well, no uh, small feat. And I know that he's been in uh, talks with the big boys about future stuff, which, you know, he's waiting on some, some good news for that. It's not, it's not easy. He's been in the Street Fighter world for a long time in negotiations, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a clever guy. Well, and again, he's one of those same group of people that we've talked about before, like you and James and uh, Ross and just this British, uh, man, this, this British group of action people that, I am such a diehard fan of, and I want more people to know about uh, all of you because I just think Britain is just doing some real... And Green Street's a perfect example. Is it a perfect movie? No, but it's a better action movie than was being made in 97% of the world at the time. And so I just want people to know what Britain's doing when it comes to action right now. Yeah, as I say, we should have made the fights more realistic. I think it would have been better for it. Um, 
what what went against that movie was you have a hardcore Green Street fan base that expected a certain thing. And then it originally was Green Street, colon, submission. And then they released it in England as Green Street 3, which we didn't really want. Uh, but of course, it was drastically different from the, the what <laughs> Jesse Johnson <laughs> directed the second one, which is abysmal, and he doesn't mind me saying so. Uh, but the first one, obviously, is quite beloved. And so that that went against us, uh, as you say. They wanted a particular thing, which it wasn't. But we we should have divorced ourselves a bit more from the name Green Street, really. But that's what sold the film. And it was the number one um, independent film uh, that year or something from, from Britain or that month or something like that. It did really well when it came out. But because it was... A Green Street film, you know. Well, and I mean, as somebody who does DTV stuff, you know that there's so many of those movies that it's like, you see them and you go, why is this? Like, this is a good movie, but why is it actually? I mean, I can even imagine back when Undisputed 2 came out. You know, people who were really big fans of Walter Hill's Undisputed kind of being maybe upset about the direction that Undisputed 2 goes. Now, we know that, frankly, because of you and Isaac, the Undisputed name is actually bigger as a Boykin name than the original Walter Hill movie, but I could see in 2006 people being fans of that movie, not necessarily appreciating the direction it goes, but you need that name. Right, it's a marketable, bankable title, and so you've got to use it. Yeah, yeah, which goes for it and against it. So you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Thanks as always to Scott for taking time out of his schedule to chat with me. There's a bunch that can be said about the Green Street franchise, but this episode is running long, so. Honestly, Richard and I covered a lot more than I would even get into here, so let's just get right into it. Let's bring on this week's champion, Richard Hawes. So what are we waiting for? Bring me your fucking champion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with this week's champion. He uh, is part of the DTV Digest podcast. He is uh, somebody who was unbelievably supportive of this show from the start. I think he's a brilliant podcaster. I think his taste in movies is impeccable because he, much like me, enjoys the, shall we say, uh, lesser mainstream aspect of movies. Richard Hawes. Richard, how are you tonight? Oh, that's a fantastic intro. Uh, intro. Uh, all, I'm very good. Uh, thank you very much. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm so happy to have you, man. And uh, I'm really excited to have you for this one because you and I have talked on Twitter about you know sort of the concept of the new wave of British action. People like mm-hmm. Scott Mann and Jesse Johnson and a director that we're going to be talking about tonight, James Nunn, um, mm-hmm. and, and how, man, Britain is just absolutely killing it, I think, when it comes to action right now. It's, it's 
it's it's insane how good British action is. And I think I don't want to speak for you, uh, but I think that's not always been the case with uh, British action movies, shall we say? No, I think, well, we've got, we don't have a massive history of action outside of the James Bond films, which have never really been British. Uh, you know, they're more international sort of American productions. But uh, as I think Scott's spoken about in, in uh, on previous episodes, you know, the, the idea of British action and British action heroes has not really been particularly accepted. I mean, Gary Daniels, didn't make a film in the UK until like five years ago or, or something, you know, his entire career was in the, uh, you know, basically like Los Angeles and the PM entertainment and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and so Scott Atkins, it took a long time for him to be able to make films in, uh, in his home country. And uh, I think that's one of the great, you know, the fascinating things about this film is kind of that it was a, that it was a bit of a turning point, I think, in his career. Yeah, actually, I was watching. Um, I obviously rewatched it before I recorded, but I was also watching the behind-the-scenes features, and, and we'll we'll dive more into the actual movie in a sec. But mm -hmm. uh, one of the things he said in the behind-the-scenes features was he had been, you know, at the point that this was made, he had been working for fifteen years, and he had never made a proper British movie. And so he felt like he had to do this one because he had to make a proper British movie. And there is no question, this is a proper British movie. The, the, you know, I, as anybody that listens knows, I always start with asking when guests got into action movies, when they got into Adkins movies. But before we even get into that, Richard, I got to ask, are like football firms is that a thing that actually exists or is this is a thing that just it was made up for the green street series no not at all no there's um football hooliganism and firms is well entrenched uh lots of you know many many uh in some cases classic films have covered the you know the the cult you know phenomenon i guess is sort of i don't know how to describe it but really but the um the the way these you know gangs of 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 well not they're not even young people they are different people of different all ages of who are united by uh you know they love the football but it's really sort of that is a uh, an excuse to vent these uh violent uh you know, uh, I don't know, uh, the, the, you know, the instincts, you know, the, the, they want to get into trouble and, and stuff. And that's, there's been many, many uh, films about that, including, uh, I think Gary Oldman was in The Firm, uh, which had a remake uh, a few years ago, but that, that's probably one of the most famous ones. But uh, The Football Factory um, is, uh, is another, that was, that I would say The Football Factory from a few years ago probably spearheaded quite a lot of this, stuff that was um i think in the mid 2000s and uh with a guy called danny dyer who's sort of become he was kind of um sort of like a figurehead for that sort of character those that sort of genre that was 2004 um and, and then green street obviously came out a few years later but that was that was trying to do something differently it added in 
you know, Elijah Wood into the mix, which was uh, quite unusual. Um, and then uh, the, yeah, so the, the, the football hooliganism is, it's not something you hear about as much these days, um, but it's, it's definitely had its, you know, there's definitely been a lot of press coverage of, of, of some, of some big confrontations and stuff in the past. And there's still, you know, uh, very vehement, you know, um, dis, you know, disgust, distaste, whatever, you know, for opposing teams, you know, and, and opposing team supporters. It's, it's not something I've experienced personally because I'm not in that world, uh, you know, as in, as in the sports world, I'm, I'm not a football fan and uh, it's never really, Football's never really clicked with me. My, my brother was, but he's he's not had any, you know, he's not been involved or encountered any football hooligan situations. But there are certain areas, like, for example, like London, like you know, Millwall fans in particular. This is the one that comes to mind. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's a real thing. And and that's one of the things that being here, you know. So in the U.S., everybody grows up playing soccer as we call Soccer. it here. Yeah. Um, but then you kind of, you hit about the age of 10 and that's replaced by basketball or American football. And so it's always mm-hmm. so fascinating to me to see these movies. Um, and my experience is I'm not in that world either. I'm a hockey fan. I'm not, I'm not a football fan. My only knowledge of it is basically I have a very good friend who is a man United fan and mm-hmm. just to torment him, I decided I was going to claim Man City as my team. And mm-hmm. it was it wasn't even I had no idea, but it was literally the year before Man City became the, you know, the Man City, the New York Yankees uh, that everybody can hate. Mm-hmm. So it's been very amusing to like bust his balls uh, because United has not been very great the last five or six years and city has been ridiculously great. Um, but, uh, it's not something, it's not a world that I am even remotely familiar with. And I I do love that you brought up the football factory. I do want to just shout out, uh, Danny Dyer is an actor that I am very familiar with primarily because of a movie, a horror movie that he made called severance that I love. And he is terrific in it. I know he is a comic in England that is a little bit of, you know, love hate, but I will just say <laughs> for people listening, Severance is terrific. Like if you want some Danny Dyer, uh check out Severance because uh he is amazing in that movie and that movie is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a Christopher Smith film. He's made a he's made a lot of really good films. That's a it's like a horror comedy where with a team building exercise in the woods uh, and uh, you know, lots of crazy stuff happens. I remember Sky, I went to the cinema to see that one. Uh, lots of crazy, it wasn't a favorite of my, I mean, I prefer Football Factory, the business, uh, Human Traffic was uh, another, again, this is all, these are all very British stories really. And uh, he's, he's uh, on, uh, what's it, uh, EastEnders now that he's, he's firmly entrenched on, I think since 2013 in the, in EastEnders, which uh, is, you know, one of the biggest shows over yeah. here. So, you know, if he, if he got, you know, now he's got that gig, we, we doesn't, we don't see him as in as many DTV movies as, as we were, 
um, probably around that time, you know, like he did a film called Vendetta, which was him trying to do an action hero sort of thing. It didn't quite work because he's not an actor who fits that role very well, unfortunately, but in certain, in, in the right roles, I do like him, but yes, he, he is quite a, uh, not controversial, but sometimes he just says, you know, really, uh, Ill, Ill, Ill considered <laughs> makes very ill considered comments sometimes. Yep, yep, and he. Uh, but I will say that I think his his work. I'm glad you mentioned that that Severance was a Christopher Smith film, uh, because again, I try and shout out British directors where I can. You know, he made four movies in a row with Christopher Smith, and I think all of them. Starting with Creep, then Severance, then Triangle, then Black Death. I think all four of them are not life-changing masterpieces by any means, but all of them are varying degrees of very competent, very worthwhile movies. And that's how I would basically describe Christopher Smith. He is an incredibly competent, uh, talented director who might never make a movie that's going to blow you away, but he knows how to direct the hell out of a movie. I just don't think there's any question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Richard. So let's turn the Wayback Machine back to young Richard. When did you first start getting involved in action movies? When was that a genre that you, you know, and I know... DTV Digest doesn't just focus on action, but obviously direct-to-video action is a big part of it. When was it is, a- yeah. when was action a genre that really popped up on your radar? Well, I think I I grew up in I was born in 1978, so I grew up with uh, the James Roger Moore James Bond films at, at the start, and uh, you know Christopher Reeve uh, Superman films and stuff like that. So. I think I was watching action, but not action as action. I think it was probably it, it was probably when I was a bit older, maybe towards the end of the eighties. I probably start, you know, perhaps probably too, uh, when I, well, I would have been too young over here. Uh, you know, films like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon are rated eighteen, which means we're not allowed to see them. You know, there's none of the stuff like in like you guys have of oh, you know, as long as you go with an adult, it's fine. It's it's not it's it's very much a no. The, you know, unless you're 18, you are not coming through the door. You're not supposed to see these films and stuff. But on video, obviously, uh, you can get away with a bit more. Bit more. Uh, the so I probably did catch sight of those, but the, the one that always comes to mind is Dark. Well, Dark Angel, which was uh, what it was. Uh, I, come I come in, in peace. peace. I come yeah. in peace. Yep, yep. And I remember seeing that uh, when it must have been when it came out at a friend's. You know, like we had a birthday party gathering. Uh, that seems to be sort of a, I don't know, for like a, a really hard-wired sort of memory of, you know, thinking about an action movie that, that made a big impression. And I think that one, you know, there was stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but, you know, that was probably, that's probably a point that I can go to. And then, you know, like Scott Adkins, you know, I grew up, you know, developed an interest, was picking up Impact Magazine, and uh, learning about a lot of stuff from there. And, you know, I, was, I lived in video shops, so I was just finding and finding stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of where it went to. Yeah, really. 
So I love that you mentioned Dark Angel uh, because Craig Baxley is, I think, one of the great underappreciated uh, low budget, aka direct to video action directors of the 80s and 90s. You know, he did mm. Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth, he did Action Jackson with uh, Carl Weathers, and then he did I Come in Peace, You Go in Pieces. You know, I mean, it's just uh, what a. Like the fact that that is the memory that you singled in on is watching that movie tells me so much about you and also tells me why um, I don't I I didn't I wouldn't have regretted it anyway, but it also tells me why I'm so glad I asked you to be on this show, because you and I very clearly are of a similar, you know, thousands of miles away. We're still of a similar uh, history and breed uh, because that that movie was a definitive movie for me. It, Dolph Lundgren being amazing. Um, but Flying all, CDs, killing people. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. It's a fantastic Brian Ben Ben, Comic Relief. He um, was really good. And lo, 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 the, so much of that film just works. Uh, it's, 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 it's well, I mean, this was looking back at it now you know i watched it recently you know dolph lundgren i think playing an american cop for the first time and you know teaming up with this fbi agent and you know the uh, matthias hughes as the very imposing alien drug dealer <laughs> and uh so it's it's such a you know of you know the um films like you know like lethal weapon and die hard and everything all very standard you know the, the great great as they are but when you're a kid, you know, you see this, what was basically a, a seven foot alien drug dealer at Christmas <laughs> firing CDs at people. You know, that leaves an impression. Well, and the fact that the, at least here in the U.S., again, the title of the movie and a repeated line that Matthias Hughes says is oh literally just a setup for a one of the all-time great kiss-off lines ever in movies. I mean, they literally made an entire movie just for Dolph Lundgren to say, and you go in pieces. Like, that is so glorious. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I love that was, it. That was the pitch meeting, probably. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, that you know that is the, the elevator pitch. Um, one thing I do want to talk to you about, uh, because I've talked to Scott about it a little bit, but I have not had enough people other than him uh, from the UK on the show. I have been very, very adamant about how important Impact Magazine was to me and mm. uh, how I first discovered it when I was in London. I was uh, a senior in high school on a, a trip and I saw Impact and bought it. And then shortly after that, Barnes & Noble started importing it. So I was buying it. But uh, I cannot impress upon people enough. And I will admit, that is a magazine that was published by Bay Logan, who is a giant piece of shit. And I will say that. But I cannot take away from the fact what Impact meant to me. What? What was it like being somebody, you're two years younger than me, so we're of approximately the same vintage. What was it mm -hmm. like growing up in England having Impact Magazine every month available to you? Oh, it was great. It was one of the, you know, 
it, information wasn't as accessible as it is now by any stretch of the imagination. So everything I found out was through either, you know, Empire or whatever, uh, you know, the mainstream magazines or this particular specialist title. And, you know, it would include um, the, you know, as you know, the, you know, it have, have like the, the poster art for films that were coming or, you know, films that were being conceived. You know, I've still got, unfortunately, I, I did scan some loads of copies that I had and stuff, but I, they, they've got lost. But I do have some bits that I cut out of, uh, you know, there was a Howie Long film called Battle Zone, which never got made, but I've got a little cut out of that that poster and a few and a few other bits and pops. So you, it was all these, it was the little tidbits and the little nuggets of, of information that, that I was really drawn to. And I was, you know, I was excited about every month, you know, going down to what we, what we call the, the news agent uh, to, to pick it up. And yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was around for years. I think I probably missed the first, quite a few of the first few issues and stuff but once I was once I discovered it you know I, I got it for the whole I think for the whole of Bay Logan's time I think uh, John Mosby came in afterwards and the content did change quite considerably especially with the changes in the industry as well um, so I didn't there was a I did drop off and I didn't read it so much because there was a lot of stuff about TV programs and, and that, that I wasn't really worried about. But in the not, you know, in the nineties, uh, I think it, a lot of people learned and developed love and passion for the action genre through that magazine. And that could never be taken away. No matter, I, I, and also it had, uh, it was the, it was the first means by which I imported films, which were usually on video CD, which is a format you don't really, hear about anymore um for obvious reasons but i think there's a lot of films that were released on i think i imported them from like china or malaysia or something but the way they the way they a lot of those films aren't really available um anymore they never came out on dvd and stuff so i'm quite gutted that quite a few of those i well i've only got about five of them left but there were quite a few titles that i i wish i'd kept hold of but i only got hold of them because of impact magazine who um, through, uh, you know, an advert in the back, you know, uh, encouraging uh, um, mail order. Yeah, that you know, was... There was... I did do mail order from from uh, Empire and stuff as well. And that's where I got things like um, Blood Fist and, and things, or Blood Fist 4 specifically, uh, and a whole bunch of stuff. But mail order was kind of a, a big thing for me for getting... Um, developing my interests and discovering films as well. You know, that we had a membership club called Britannia, which I got a lot of stuff out of that and that, but yeah, Im impact was, was, you know, amazing, you know, it's amazing magazine. Uh, and uh, it's, it's sad that it's not around anymore, even, you know, even though it wasn't quite what it, even though it wasn't, you know, the magazine that it started out as by the time it finished, it, it, it is a shame that it ceased publication quite a few years ago now. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, the I was actually just going to say for me the thing was always it was it was those ads, those adverts in the back advertising all these movies that I had never even heard of and they would have these weird Hong Kong titles and I just I wanted to see those movies. And so I I'm with you, you know, I would order uh Malaysian VCDs. For those who don't know, uh, 
because I do have some people who are younger than uh, me and Richard. These CDs were essentially CDs that were burned with video. Think, think like full motion video cutscenes from video games. That same technology was used to put movies on on CDs, and you know their resolution was approximately the same as VHS, but they were cheaper to replicate, and uh, Asian cinema was. Uh, rife with them and so I you know I remember the first VCD that I think I ever bought was actually uh, the Christoph Gans Mark Dacascos Crying Freeman uh, and and I I finally lost that a few years ago in a move but I had kept that thing with me for years because I was so proud of this thing that I had bought online um and so it's just for again for those who live in the age blessed with the internet where information is coming at you all the time you know it's like i had a conversation with scott about his new movie with james dunn one shot and three hours later there was a press release and city on fire was uh dropping it and i thought i had like some cool inside information you know back in the day Impact was where you found out about those things. There would be a poster for a movie like One Shot or, Mm. uh, you know, you would find an advert in the back that was advertising Chow Yun-Fat's back making God of Gamblers returns. Who knew Chow Yun-Fat had come back to God of Gamblers? You know, like there's just, it was such an influential, important magazine. And I am never not going to be sad that it doesn't exist anymore uh because well that's where like you say the um with the films and stuff with uh like chain in fact like mia i think it was mia like you know we had these film labels that was you know putting out things like the better tomorrow uh features and that and that that's that's where the audience was it was it was uh with the the readers of that magazine so you would that's where everyone that's where everyone gravitated to i think and that's i think that's why it probably peaked i would i'd say the magazine itself probably peaked in the mid 90s uh things started to change probably a little bit after that but yeah the obviously and then the advent of dvd and everything all all changed stuff but yeah video cds by the way another thing to mention is uh that the film was always split so you would you could only watch like 45 minutes on, on one disc so you would always have that moment where the the film first disc <laughs> would end and then you'd have to get out the other one uh which, which i always remember um, yep yep absolutely somebody who grew up on laser discs you know i am still pro laser disc i still have hundreds of laser discs it was the same thing that know? was the same situation yeah, yeah. i always had, wanted laser discs when i was growing up I, you I was had desperate to, for them never got them <laughs> you had to flip them and and honestly there's something about the ritual of that that like, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that Laserdisc, if you were to take a 4K UHD and a VCD of The Killer or whatever, like, there's no comparison, right? But there is something about the ritual of having to flip the disc or swap the disc 
that I really do miss because I feel like for those of us growing up on these almost uh, salacious, uh, secretive uh, movies, you know, I mean, these Hong Kong movies and these these things like this, they were almost like porn, right? Like they were things that nobody knew about. And so the ritual of having to flip these discs and stuff is just, a, it's a feeling and, a, and an emotion that I love to death and I'm so sad I never get anymore. Yeah, so one the, and a similar thing with VHS cuz the you know the the putting I mean for whether it was a front loader or top loader or whatever you know taking the tape out putting it in fast forwarding it and or you know watching through the trailers and stuff it's an, that that in itself is a, is an experience that we don't have anymore. I mean some DVDs they sort of force you to watch some trailers or you can skip them you know it's but it's a very different proposition i, I think i do i know there's you know it's romanticizing uh, uh, you know a, a redundant format to an extent but i do you know i have a lot of fond memories about you know because that's where that's where the love of film grew you know it was it was growing from tapes sometimes illicit tapes you know picked up at a at a market you know, some of the films that I saw when I was too young, you know, were illegal copies. But I don't think, you know, and piracy is one of these issues that I've got a lot of sort of conflicting feelings about. But I think the there is. I've got a lot of really good memories about films that I was able to discover, uh, you know, uh, through, through, you know, through picking up tape, even like Terminator 2. You know, because I wouldn't, I w- couldn't have seen that at the cinema at the time. But you know, copies were f- circulated, and you, you know, you watch these films over and over and over again. You know, in a way that you don't do now because we've got so much choice. You can zoom to from one thing to another, and you, you, we're encouraged to do so because you know consumption is growing. Whereas when you when you're growing up and you get something, let's say you get a Jurassic Park or or um, Falling Down for me uh, especially. Um, you know, you, you cherish these films and, and you, you grew, you, you loved them and you watched them, you know, over and over and over again. And that's why certain films, you know, like, uh, you develop, uh, they mean more to you than maybe some of the stuff that we watch now, because it's so, it's a much more of a disposable experience, unfortunately. I mean, I, I watch many, many films, you know, continuous, you know, um, for, for different reasons one i've got an appetite and also i've got you know we do the dtv digest and stuff and there's, there's stuff to get through so i don't have the the leisure of revisiting a lot of the films but you know when we were growing up in that time and you know things were less plentiful you could set you could you know you you had time to enjoy things a bit more i think and i, th- I think that's something i miss as well yeah, absolutely. The, the The first bootleg VHS I ever bought, I bought it based on an ad in the back of Black Belt Magazine. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Ronnie Yu's Brandon Lee starring Legacy of Rage. And I had to order it. I had to write the guy and send in an order form because this was maybe 1994, 1995. It was after Brandon Lee died, mm-hmm. but it may have even been before The Crow came out. So I'm going to say 94. 
um, I had to send the guy an actual handwritten order form, and it was here in the U.S. I don't know if they have this in England, but we used to have a thing called uh, cash on delivery. So I had to take the day off of school the day it was supposed to be delivered so that I could actually pay the postman $45 for this movie. And I, like, I'm telling you, man, you do all that shit, you jump through all those hoops, it doesn't even, Legacy of Rage is great. I love that movie. But even if it hadn't been great, it wouldn't have mattered. I was so invested in the experience of trying to get this movie to fucking watch it that mm-hmm. I I would have still been a Legacy of Rage fan no matter what. And that is, you know, we are, for the most part, a couple of clicks away from most movies. But I will say this podcast is, we're not pro-piracy but we are pro understanding the gray market and understanding that. Yeah, movies... I think that that's one of the great conflicting things is, you know, a lot of film discovery, uh, especially in those older times, was through bootlegs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where a lot of, you know, passion has grown up for the films. And then those people have gone on to, collect you know you know become you know blue gray collectors and, and what and whatever it is so it's 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 a it's a hard one to think i i, I try to make the most ethical choices i can now but it, it's like some of the situations that you face us are, are the same there are films that are just not available but there might be a copy on youtube and so I'll give you an example. One uh, I found, there's a, a Gary Daniels film that I've always wanted to see called uh, Reptilicant, I think. It's never come out. I've never been able to find it anywhere. Found it's on YouTube. Now, if, you know, if it hasn't, if it's been on there for a while, clearly labeled clear as day, nobody's issued a copyright notice, you know, to get it taken down. Is there any harm in watching it? I don't, you know, I don't think so. I think I feel justified in that. Uh, I think that's re- that's reasonable, uh, but I think if it's you know the new Scott Adkins movie, and it's been clearly you know it's been uploaded, and uh, you know it's 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 new, it's it's it, you know it's not it's not something that's tucked away that somebody's unearthed. That's a completely different proposition, and you know I think it, it it's right to you know to you can't. The thing is, YouTube doesn't even let you flag up. Pro- pirate content as far as i've been able to see it it's kind of they don't care <laughs> and you know and they think and no and, and if somebody nobody else cares it, it's like um it may it, it stuns me sometimes that some stuff is is up there and available when you know it's it, it, it is available legitimately via other means but i think we're in a very strange time now where it's you know do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's like some stuff is. Yeah, no. You where's not... where? Why did why did why is nobody? You know, YouTube is a big company. It has no has no really responsibility or, or or ethics about the content as long as as long as they're getting the clicks. And if unless somebody of equal, you know, who's on an equal footing with them, like a big like a Universal Pictures or, or something, unless they kick up a fuss. They're not worried about it, and uh, that 
that and it and they that they actually seem to make it difficult for content to be removed in from what i've been able to see anyway although it, it's odd i tried to upload a video of um I, I i edited together all of steven seagal's trailers and i tried to upload it and it said oh you can't do this because of warner brothers or whatever there's so there's things in place <laughs> there's things in place where it, it it somehow recognizes that something is content that is you know owned by someone else and even if it's just a trailer it wouldn't let me load it but for some reason it will load up you know uh, a struggling you know dtv filmmaker or an independent filmmaker it'll, it'll allow their films to be uploaded by whoever it is who wants to get the ad uh ad revenue from i don't know I, i'm going off on a tangent here but no but you're not because you and i are uh, like 100 percent on the same page on this because to me it's a question of preservation versus piracy and the idea is that we are every year we are losing more and more movies because corporations don't want to release them because they can't make money and so then somebody decides, I'm just going to upload this VHS rip to YouTube. And <clears throat> here's a perfect example. Uh, there's this movie. So one of my favorite action teams working right now is the Real Deal stunt team out of Berlin. And they are phenomenal. Their first movie, Plan B, is one of my favorite movies I've seen in the last decade. I bought a Dutch DVD that had no English subtitles. So I bought it, I ripped it, I re-encoded English subtitles to it so I could watch it. But it is on YouTube. And I would love for people to legitimately buy Plan B, but they can't because it's never been released in the US. And I want people to see this movie. So I have told people, watch it on YouTube. It's there. They are the same guys that did the action design for Liam O'Donnell's uh, friend of the show, Liam O'Donnell's Skylines. Now, Skylines is readily available. You can rent it. You can buy it. It's going to be on Netflix in a couple of weeks. If you are pirating Skylines, you can die in a fucking fire because that movie is readily available you should be supporting independent filmmakers. This is what I always say about Scott's movies, right? Yeah. Buy them, support them. But if we're talking a Hong Kong movie from 1985 that hasn't ever gotten a good release, I art is meant to be seen, man. I want people to see that movie, and if the way they can see it is on YouTube, then fucking watch it on YouTube. It is a complex gray area, and this podcast has been complex and gray about it. And I actually remember uh, an episode of shouting out to uh, my friend Ben, who does the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. He yep. had a great thing where when Boyka got leaked, Scott actually said when he was interviewing, he said, look, I get it. You're a fan of my movies. You want to watch Boyka early. If you download it and watch it, that's fine. Just make sure you buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. And that, I would say, is the position of this podcast. If you can legitimately support a movie and you are not, I'm not interested in you listening to this show. Uh, but if you happen to acquire a 
pirated version or see a version of a movie on YouTube, and then 88 Films releases a legitimate version of that, and you're like, well, fuck, I'm going to click buy on that, you know, and I'm going to give 88 Films my 25 bucks or 20 bucks for that movie. Great. Good on you, because art is meant to be seen. Just support it legitimately when and where you can. Uh, Mm. But if you can't, I mean, if you have no legitimate option to buy that movie legitimately, art's still meant to be seen, man. See it. Watch it on YouTube. See the movie, because that's still more important than any of this other stuff we're talking about. Yeah, also, there's, you know, there's the power of word of mouth as well. You know, the the where the if the film has come from a an unofficial source, let's say, but you know people talk about it and encouragement they build you know people build interests and and you know the the film gets known and then ultimately that can be a point where an official release comes so i'll give you an example of uh, ha- uh halloween six which is uh, it's my, probably one of the most derided of the series but it's, it's my favorite uh, for some reason i just clicked with that film when it came out and just love it a lot um there was there's an alternate cut which I got a bootleg uh, tape of. And now you can just, you can buy it. I mean, I haven't bought the Blu-ray, but there, there is a Blu-ray available. Uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, I'm not, I don't know what the regioning is or whatever, but in, I don't know if it's Shout Factory or someone. It is Shout Factory. Yeah. But that's, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's like a, 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 a something that was unofficial in circulation. You know, it got a following. People were interested enough that, ultimately you could get an official release of something that was unofficial. (laughs) Well, I mean, shit, we're literally getting uh, the date we're recording this. We're recording this February 28th. We are three weeks out from the Snyder cut getting released. I mean, there is word of mouth is powerful and absolutely. Yeah. Getting these movies out there and people talking about them, you know, I, I went a little bit viral yet last year, which is actually kind of what spawned this series. I wrote an article for film combat syndicate about, uh, Johnny young Bosch, uh, and, uh, alpha stunts, broken path. And my buddy, Rob Antiquera, the cinema drunkie actually had a podcast where he was interviewing Johnny young Bosch. And I will admit, I saw broken path first on a pirated copy. And Johnny was like, yeah, I'm the one that leaked that because the (laughs) producer was never going to release it. So I just released, I leaked it to the torrent sites because at the end of the day, art is meant to be seen. Uh, Art that exists where nobody can see it. Isn't art at all. And don't pirate, don't steal, but on the flip side, get the art out there, share it, make sure that everybody knows it exists. Um, all right. Well, Richard, I think we've done, uh, we've digressed a bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, no, we're well on point. <laughs> um, so I'm going to just quickly ask, when did Scott Adkins pop up on your radar? Now, I believe it was probably, I mean, I'd seen Black Mask 2, for example, like when that, because that came out uh, to uh, 2003, I think it was. Um, but 
you know, I didn't know it was him. And, you know, it, it wasn't a film that made an impression because of Scott Adkins, as has previously been talked about on the show. It's it's a film that's notable for many reasons other than Scott Adkins, but it is very interesting that he was picked to, to be in that role. Um, and uh, it, it was one of those films that could have been a breakthrough, but wasn't. Now, it was uh, Special Forces, which I, because I've followed uh, all the uh, New Image productions, I would always watch it, you know, like, especially USC, after US Seals 2, it was like, uh, I was, I was, I was going to watch whatever they put out. And uh, I, I was well into the importing of, because I had a multi-region player by this point, I, I was importing uh, American discs. Uh, so I got Special Forces when that came out um and yeah it was that was as again as you know previous people i think have said the uh that's that fight scene <laughs> that scott has just sort of comes out of nowhere and it and, and it, it was just incredible and i think I, that was probably the moment that i would i would say i now i would say about um special because i didn't really like special forces that much for the most part it was quite um, I wanted U.S. Seals again. You know, I, U.S. Seals two. I should say I wanted U.S. Seals two again, and to have the action sort of the martial arts action so dialed down on Special Forces. You know, being another Florentine film was disappointing, but um, that scene sort of was was great in, in and of itself. And I didn't know until you know listening to your show that that Scott was dubbed. Um, I'd always presumed it was him playing, you know, his voice. But uh, yeah, that's quite. That was quite a, a surprise to to discover because I haven't really watched it much since since that time. I haven't revisited it recently, so I've never picked up on the fact that it wasn't his voice. Yeah, I actually hadn't. That was news to me when he told me too, because I just assumed it was because he was so much younger mm. that you know voices change over time i just assumed and they clearly were doing you know sync sound and and yeah. stuff like that so i just that was actually a bit of information that i did not know either until he told me that i was yeah. surprised when he said that and i'd never uh, i'd never i'd never i'd never heard him talk apart from you know again in black mask 2 but you don't, i didn't pay any attention at that time so it was it wasn't until, let's say, Special Forces got hold of that. That took a long time to get a release in the UK. I think it was, well, a long time. I think it was a couple of years uh, later that it came out. Um, but, uh, to, yeah, the and then it was, you know, like everyone else, it was Undisputed too, which, again, I, I got on an import because, you know, you read in Impact Magazine that's highlight, you know, highlighting these films, telling you about these fellas, talk, you know, writing features about Scott Adkins and, and, and uh, Isaac Florentine, uh, Mike Leader, especially, uh, who and uh, yeah, so that 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 was it really. I think I, I was hooked, and I pretty much watch um, every major release. You know, even stuff like the tournament. I'm a I'm a you know really like that film quite. I, I really like that film a lot, even though Scott's not a massive part of it. I remember later going into the cinema to um, was it the Bourne. Was it the Bourne Ultimatum that he was in? Yeah, Bourne Ultimatum. Yeah, Ultimatum. so went to when I went into that, massively excited that Scott was going to be in it. Um, quite disappointed at, at the end result, but um, 
again, I think that's because I'd, it's that whole green grass, you know, shooting action thing. But uh, still, you know, excited. You know, I, I've I've been a I've been a Scott Atkins fan. I think since Special Forces. So what's that? Uh, Eighteen years now. Yeah, it's a that's a long time. You are you are you actually beat me because I did not see Special Forces until after I had seen Undisputed Two and uh and went back so um let me ask you this too because we're about to talk about a james nunn movie um and it's his second major film uh tower block your thoughts on that movie what do you what do you think about that movie i'd love to share my thoughts i actually haven't seen it uh, to my shame uh I, I keep meaning to uh it's uh just uh one of those that because as a result of seeing his subsequent work because it didn't it wasn't a film that was I mean I knew about it I saw it you know listed and reviewed and whatever but it wasn't something that drew my attention but uh, I am I'm very keen to see it's just a bit hard to track down well it's so funny because I remember it there was like this weird wave of um in the space of a couple of years, we got uh, three, basically tower block. And for those who don't know, and and Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, because we don't have something. We really don't have a U.S. equivalent to tower blocks. Um, it, it, but you know, there was you got the Citadel. Syrian Foy's The Citadel, you got uh, Joe Cornish's Attack the Block, and you got mm-hmm. James Nunn's Tower Block, all within like a year or two of one another. There was this weird thing in the water where <laughs> it was like people were making these indie Tower Block movies. And um, yeah, council, sort of council uh, how, housing. I mean, if, if there was an American version, it would probably be in the projects you know kind of thing yeah like that's that's my my analogy is kind of like how in the early 90s we got you know new jack city and boys in the hood and and a bunch of those movies all taking place in compton that's sort Mm. of the equivalent i feel like it was just this weird movement but um for people listening i am going to tell you tower block is terrific First of all, it's got a, a cast of people who at the time were mostly unknowns uh, that have gone on to become, you know, Russell Tovey is one of the main leads. Jack O'Connell is one of the main leads. Sheridan Smith. Yeah. Like these Sheridan are Smith. these are all people who have gone on to bigger and better things. And I will say not to put my cards on the table about what I think of Green Street 3, uh, but I will say that none directs the ever living shit out of Tower Block. It is really tense, really well directed, uh, and one that I think people absolutely need to check out. Yeah, I'm definitely. It's it, I, ever since I uh, got into Nun's films, it's been high, on my agenda. It's uh, it's 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 I'm just ashamed that I haven't managed to to see it yet. I mean, it's it came out in. 2012 so <laughs> it's a it's a it's approaching 10 years ago yeah i'm hoping that somebody like uh q 
Kino or that will pick it up and actually do like a release, you know, because it got released, but it hasn't had like or even somebody like 88 films or Eureka. It's probably a little too lowbrow for Eureka, but it's right up 88's wheelhouse. Um, Mm. But it's it's definitely a movie that's worth checking out, which leads us to his second feature. Uh, the third in the very loosely tied together trilogy, Green Street 3. Uh, it's Green Street 3 Underground. It's Green Street 3 Never Back Down. It's just Green Street 3. It, there's multiple names. When did you actually first see Green Street 3? Oh, so I, when it first came out, uh, the, you know, the excitement of seeing Scott Atkins doing a British movie. Um, I, regardless of what it was i mean i i wasn't mass fan of um i didn't mind green street green street 2 was very disappointing uh, in in maine because it was shot in la but pretending to be or shot or, or something like that shot in la shot in america pretend trying to pretend to be shot in in the uk as far as I, that's why i recall it being anyway in the Vern, Vernon wells as the uh uh, prison guard. I think Marina Sirtis is in it as well. Yeah, so and she's mo- returned to other Jesse Johnson movies. Most but yeah, it just wasn't. It's a, yeah, it's a Jesse Johnson movie. That's the kind of the most important thing for this. But I will agree with you as a diehard Jesse Johnson fan. This is way down on the list of uh, not uh, Green Street Two is way down on the list of Jesse Johnson movies for me. Yeah, I think by the time so by the time this was coming out, I pro- I probably anticipated that it was it was not going to be um, a conventional, you know, sequel. That it was kind of going to be its own thing. And obviously, it's got that never back down tag on the on the British cover, at least um, trying to tie it to the never, you know, not tie it to, but trying to riff or, or cash in on the on never back down. Obviously, which ultimately had its own DTV. Uh, sequels but the uh yeah so it was it was just exciting to 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 see him playing a a british character in a british film uh, after so many years i mean we'd seen him in i'd watched um all the new you know the new stuff that would come out i'd also imported things like extreme challenge so uh, you know so i'd 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 watched most Meant, you know most of his films up to that point so i was a you know serious fan definitely so exciting well and this is one that i for me was one that i watched whenever it came came out in the u.s um i think i rented it on amazon and uh i was already all in on the scott adkins wagon at that point i was a diehard fan but i loved how i had seen lexi alexander's original green street and i had seen green street too but i didn't know jesse v johnson at the time i nothing about that movie registered in my memory um but i was like well i'm you know I was introduced to Scott because he did a direct to video sequel to a major box office release in undisputed two. So why wouldn't I be interested in watching this? And I got to tell you the first time I watched it, I was like, 
First of all, I loved how just unabashedly British it was. And secondly, uh, it came out about the same time that I was watching Street Fighter Assassin's Fist. So mm-hmm. seeing Joey Ansa show up in it, uh, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm I'm all in on this. And I'll be honest, I watched this, rewatched this a couple of days ago before we recorded. And man, I really dig this movie. I like this movie a lot. I think this is a underappreciated Scott Atkins movie. And it's, and uh, as I think I said uh, at the start, you know, it's an important one because this was the start of him making films uh, in, in the, well, in, in, England specifically, uh, you know, making British movies or, 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 you know, films that were set in Britain. You didn't always, obviously, it's not always played a Brit uh, in them. But yeah, so this was exciting for him. To, to, at the time, I thought he was using his his accent. Uh, obviously, later I realised, oh, actually, he, he's from Birmingham, so he's affecting a, a, a London accent for this. So it, it's a little bit different. So there's still that acting challenge for him. Of, Which is uh, so funny because Richard, I got to be honest with you, I I can't tell. I, no, no, <laughs> I but I also know there's a big difference between my Utah accent and if I slide back into uh, the accent that I affected when I was living in the South and how you know, and mm. it's like that might not be the same people listening, but it's so funny because he he's told me that before. He's like, "Well, I'm doing this accent." I'm like, "Well, that just sounds like you." But it's not um, because that is what's hilarious about how accents work. Yeah. And he doesn't, I mean, it's quite a leveled, uh, you know, it's not so far removed. I mean, he doesn't go, you know, you do you'd hooligans, you know, the, the, you know, hooligans speak in, you know, um, it's hard to be not, not to be offensive or whatever, but people's like my brother, He's a football fan in the football, you know, community or whatever, and he talks in a much, in a completely different way to how I do. It's all, oh, all right, mate, how you doing? Yeah, oh, oh, sweet, mate. You know that sort of thing, which, which I don't, I don't talk like that. So there's some characters in Green Street who are like, yeah, bruv, yeah, you, you go out on the lash, mate, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, it's, uh, it's completely different to with Scott. He's, he's kind of. I, I don't know if in part it's because his character is supposed to have been away and and he's come back. He's probably, but I don't think, I, I don't think that's the, I think he's just, you know, to go, uh, to go full on with what that character might actually sound like if he was a real, if, if in real life would probably be too much. And, you know, in, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work for, you know, let's say, you know, like how train spotting ended up having to be subtitled and, you know, stuff like that. There's, certain uh slang and, and things so it, it's it's more it's not too far removed from uh his nice uh you know is, is well uh well-spoken nature let's say <laughs> <laughs> yeah we actually when we were re-watching it we actually turned the subtitles on because again americans are terrible at understanding other people's accents because we don't need to worry about it because we're american we're the best uh, that's sarcasm for anybody listening. Um, but we did turn the subtitles on just because it's like, I've watched enough British movies. I can mostly hear it, but I didn't want, 
I wanted to really zero in on the movie. I didn't want to have to spend any time analyzing what people were saying. So it was nice to turn the subtitles on and just be like, okay, now I can zero in on the movie. Uh, mm. Because, yeah, not only is this a really fun movie, but it's like the cast in this movie's kind of crazy. For a low-budget movie, this cast is... I mean, we get Spencer Wilding as the... Well, spoilers, but everybody knows we spoil it. We get Spencer Wilding as the villain. We get Jack Doolin showing up. We get Josh Myers showing up as major characters. Like, these are all actors who are maybe not megastars, but certainly people that are vastly superior to what you typically get in a direct-to-video sequel to a major movie. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I, d- I didn't, I don't really, I didn't really know of many of them. Uh, the, I mean, uh, the, I was when I was looking up the card, you know, Casey Clark, for example, who plays Molly. So he's had a, you know, very distinguished career, but I, this is the only thing I've seen her in. And, you know, I've not, um, I wasn't familiar with, I think she was in like Grange Hill or something, which is a popular, uh, you, you know, youth program uh, over here. The, but Joey Ansar, I was familiar with, but I didn't know a huge amount of his work I, I basically knew him from you know the uh that born fight now was that also the born ultimatum yeah he he's he's he plays dash he's the one that is in what i think is the best fight in the movie which is the one where born has to uh parkour across all the buildings and then ends up jumping through the window and mm-hmm. uh dash uh, joey ansa has the uh distinct privilege of getting his ass kicked by a book. Uh, <laughs> Born kicks his ass with a book in the Born Ultimatum. Yeah, I remember, remember that. And that's something that uh, would uh, return in John Wick 3, really. Yep, um, the, absolutely. But the, um, in terms of, the, see, I never really, li- I, don't, I don't like the Born films for, for, for the way they're shot, really. But the, but what I was excited about was Joey Anser basically reprising that role in a in a Bollywood film called Knockout, uh, Knockout where he's, they essentially got him in to do a Bourne scene <laughs> in the film that was basically a remake of Phone Booth. Well, it was a remake; it was a rip off of Phone Booth. Um, but they added these uh, Bourne scenes in, and you know, if they're going to make the Bourne scene, let's get the guy from Bourne. Uh, so that was quite cool. So I actually I like that. I I I more I that interests me more than 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 that. But yeah, I was I was excited to you know see him in a in an acting role in a film, uh, uh, which I hadn't done before. I wasn't familiar with any you know like Spencer Wilding, for example. I've never seen him in anything else, but uh, he's he's very imposing. I mean, incredibly imposing uh, threat in this you know proper David and Goliath kind of thing and. Uh, as the years have gone on, you know, I've learned more about, uh, you know, other things like um, uh, the life of action author Mike Fury was involved in in the film, and he's he, he's visible as one of the one of the Millwall fighters in a couple of the sequences. So I quite like that because well, I follow um, Mike I'm, on. Twitter I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah, so Mike Mike Fury has been a very big supporter of this show, and I have been very upfront 
that this show doesn't exist without Life of Action. I have referenced him, and uh, he his interview with Joey Anza is one of my favorite parts of the first volume of Life of Action. Um, Mike, I hope you're listening because, like, dude, I we absolutely love you. You, we, I wouldn't be doing this show without you. Um, but I also want to say, uh, for people listening, if you don't know Spencer Wilding, you will most likely recognize him as the alien in Guardians of the Galaxy that has Peter Quill's headphones. When they're breaking out of the prison, he's the one that Peter, that takes Peter's headphones and tape deck, and Peter has to go get them back. Uh, Wilding is a He's a he's a beast. He's a monster. Uh, and he shows up. He also played Darth Vader in Star Wars Rogue One. He did the body. He did the physical work of Darth right. Vader. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's um he's kind he did the of, Dave Prowse job. Yeah, he did the David Prowse job. And uh, wow. and so, you know, seeing him in Green Street Three, it's like you're seeing this guy who is kind of a big deal, even though he's behind the scenes, he's kind of a big deal in this movie. And it it's, that's one of the things I love about this movie. Yeah. And it, it, it's, um, yeah, so there's a good, it's a good cast. I, I, I'll, I'll come back to um, Casey Clark because I thought she was really good in it as well. I mean, the, the, the to, put the film in you know because it's been said before you know the film is this odd mix of different genres uh and uh, you know it's it's fantastical in, in several ways and, and the idea of she is running this pub is is kind of is 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 uh something you've got to <laughs> you got to it, that's a movie thing that you've got to just sort of get over because you know a few years later um we would get a, a, a vengement and you remember the uh the lady behind the bar in that movie that's that's who that's who should have been behind the bar at this at this football hooligan pub not not the the incredibly glamorous uh, uh casey um casey clark or, yeah or, or, i can't i think she's pronounced i think she used a, a different a slightly different name barnfield barnfield yeah and she so she goes by both but yeah or the other one that i think of is i don't know if you've watched it richard but ted lasso uh, about the American uh, football coach that coaches the soccer team, the lady that runs the bar in that is exactly what I would expect a woman who runs a pub to look like. She certainly <laughs> wouldn't look like uh, Casey Clark in this movie. And, and we maybe be, you know what? I'm sure there's a bar somewhere where somebody who does look like Casey Clark runs a bar, but uh, so I don't want to sound like we're coming across as sexist, but it's definitely a movie thing because she's there to be pretty and end yeah. up hooking up with uh, Scott Atkins as Danny. I mean, that's yeah, absolutely. It's the love story angle, which I really like actually. The um, the 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 love story in the film, I think, is actually adds a nice dimension, uh, and I I have no issues with that whatsoever. The um. Uh, I think it adds 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 something. To, I like the whole movie. Basically, I mean, it is a weird mix. I mean, we'll probably we'll get into shortly in the uh, how some of the you know the, the different stuff works. Can you because uh, 
I don't think yet we've set up what the film is. Uh, can you just sort of yeah. elaborate on that a bit for, for the audience? Yeah, What's... so the gist of it is uh, we have this football firm, the Green Street Elite, that was established in Lexi Alexander's first. And uh, where we're at now, we've got Danny Harvey, played by Scott, uh, who was the leader of the firm but decided he wanted he didn't want to live this life so he fucks off and goes north to london uh where he opens up his own gym his brother kind of becomes the de facto leader and his brother joey ends up getting killed and what we find out is that in this world Instead of these unregulated brawls, instead we've got this fighting system where all these firms are having organized, essentially MMA fights to decide who wins. And there's even, they're even tracking them. There's leaderboards, the whole nine yards. But once Joey gets killed, Danny comes back to try and figure out who killed his brother. His old best friend, Victor, played by Joey Ansa, is a cop. And we discovered that Danny's basically working with Victor behind the scenes. And spoilers, uh, Millwall is the team that killed Joey. And the leader of Millwall is Spencer Wilding Mason, who's also Victor's boss. It's... It's a weird amalgamation of martial arts film, soccer film, and like Rocky-esque sports yes. film. <laughs> because yes, Danny, Danny has to train the rest of the firm into, you know, get them into fighting shape. And so we get these like montages of him training yep. them and stuff like that. It's kind of bananas, but it also 100% fucking works. Yeah, it's like football hooligans trained up like the mighty ducks or something it's really weird um that they, they they say that they're gonna uh, they basically get um scott adkins is uh danny to you know he steps back into the leadership role and they say oh you've got to train us you've got to train us and so that we get these lengthy montage sequences of him of uh of him whipping the guys into shape and yeah i mean the whole idea is comical when when you think especially from you know i've watched you know loads of these football hooligan movies and, and stuff and you know understand you know live living around you know it, it is something that's part of our culture over here that we're familiar with but the whole idea of um them being you know training them up to to do these sort of brawls that, i mean you couldn't get more dtv really but you know for what it is i think i i agree i think it works. It's fun. It's not taking itself too seriously at all. I think. I think the fans of, uh, you know, like the first film wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand, and they, and they probably hated the second one, so they're probably not going to even bother. But I think, for you know, approaching it in the right frame of mind, you know, if you, if it, it was, it, I'd be really interested to know what, you know, people who were not familiar with Scott Adkins or, or whatever, you know, didn't come to it for that reason what they thought of it i'm i'm not, I'm not uh, overly familiar I, I i should ask my brother really he might have seen it but the uh yeah it's a, it, it is that weird mix of 
it starts out as the, it's the whole my brother's been murdered coming back home thing, which I, I don't know where that started, but, you know, Get Carter is one of the most well-known examples, but it's been used in many martial arts movies, including American ones like um, Blood Fist and um, the Ted Jan Roberts film, A Dangerous Place, I think Mars with Olivier Gruner. They've all used the, I'm trying to find out who killed my brother plot. And uh, yeah, and they just added, so you've got the football British gangster thing and you know the the, the friend who's a who's a cop um you know the the the, the childhood friend and they've gone uh, you know two different ways that's a, a very familiar uh, trope and uh, the <laughs> but yeah it's it's just it, it it does work it is fun and you do which a lot of these you know films based on criminals basically you know you know crime films gangster films whatever you have to be you have to sympathize or, or be drawn to essential characters who in real life you would run a mile from and you, you would, you know, despise them. And, and uh, I think that's quite, I mean, Scott, I think mentioned ID, which is, is a great example of, of one of these uh, football hooligan movies. There was a sequel recently called ID two, which isn't, isn't a patch on it, but uh, that, that was, that was a big deal when that film came out, that was quite, you know, it was hard hitting. That was probably the, now you know, I'm thinking about the. I was talking about football factoring earlier, but uh, ID was, I think, the starting point for that, which I, I'd forgotten about. Um, the, uh, yeah, the. Um, it is it is a weird mix, but yeah, I, I have. I mean, I laugh. You know, you sort of have that sort of laugh to yourself when you're watching these training sequences and that. But you know, it's it's all. I think it's all part of the fun, and um, I don't think that makes it a bad film at all i think i think it makes it a fun film well it's so as because i had seen this a couple of times my wife who is also a just a massive scott adkins fan this was one she she had only seen the last fight uh because she came in the first time i was watching it and uh but one of the other things that i love about doing this show and that i have really grown to appreciate is at a structural standpoint at a script standpoint yeah like this is dtv as hell but god damn is james nunn a good director i mean this movie is beautiful it is so unbelievably well paced well shot uh every fight you know it doesn't have some of because again this was he, if I'm remembering correctly, he's filming this on a rehabbing knee. So it doesn't have a lot of his acrobatic stuff, but that's also fine because that wouldn't fit in this movie. No. Right? Yeah. Like, this is a brawler movie. And the way Nunn shoots the fights, especially that last fight with the fences all around and the rain and everything, it just. It's so well shot and you give the cheesy and I mean that in the best possible way, the cheesy buildup of the revenge movie coupled with the sports movie, coupled with the romance, coupled with the like best friends coming back together, even though they've gone separate with the John Woo best friends have gone separate ways, but they're coming back together. There is just so much in this movie that has no business working. 
Richard, this movie should be one of the most unwatchable fucking movies you and I have ever watched. And yet somehow none manages to pull it all together in a way that not only is it watchable, it's delightful. It's really a lot of fun and really yeah. enjoyable. And that is a serious friggin' accomplishment. Uh, th- especially as it's it's not a genre, it's you know, it's not a style of film that was uh being done or, or you know it, or, you know not well not not being done but you know not being done at this level let's say um i think it stands out it's a good example of the genre i mean we've through you know talking about uh, the the development and the growth of of british action with films by like ross boys boyask and um uh chi kyung Chung, I think, uh, Underground with Mark Strange, uh, which uh, I think come out as it's a couple of different titles, but a lot of these films don't get that well released, and they don't, you know, they're good. They're good, you know. They show, show uh, they highlight performers and stuff, but they they don't overall satisfy. Let's say um, this, I think, works as a film, regardless of whether you're watching it for the martial arts action or. Not, I think the story, as you say, the story is well told. The it's well shot, it's engaging. Um, it's I I I feel a little bit disappointed at the end. I think the the, the it's it's a bit too. Uh, I would have liked something a bit grander in scale because I think something like even like the opening fight scene feels like it's feels like there's more. You know, there's the you know the set and everything in the location that feel, feels a bit more engaging than than the final fight. But it, but uh, I guess you know that's what it would be. I mean, even the now I'll be honest, the you know like when they're fighting with all the the skips around. You know, when they when they first discover um, the fights happening and they uh, they first get involved in it, I think that had a that had a much better feeling of scale than the climax. I I, I liked. I, you know, I like the showdown with Mason. I thought that was great, but the fen- the fences in a field thing was, um, for me, uh, it was a bit anticlimactic in terms of a location. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, certainly the scene that I remember the most is when they're fighting. I don't even remember what firm they're fighting. But GSE basically gets their ass kicked and we get this shot of Scott and he's bleeding from his nose and he's like, we're not fucking done. Are we fucking done? We're not fucking done. And that 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 is certainly more memorable than I think a lot of what we get in the climax of the movie. Um, But nonetheless, you know, you mentioned Ross and, and Ross is a friend of the show. I love Ross. I will talk about I am vengeance and I am vengeance retaliate or I am vengeance retaliation until I turn blue in the face. But there is something about James Nunn. His eye is really just I mean, he made a couple of double. He made the Marine five and six and made those movies look beautiful. Like Nunn is just a. I think a director that uh, I'm 100% in the bag for. I'm just in the bag for everything he does because I think the reason this movie is as entertaining and as good as it is, isn't 
even the cast, as much as I love Scott, as much as I love Joey Ansa, it's James Nunn. He just brings his A-game to this movie and makes Green Street 3, a movie that has no business being as good as it is, a very, very good direct-to-video movie. Yeah, and that was obviously uh, a key uh, success point, I guess, as to what, I mean, along with Eliminators, as to why he ended up doing more, like you say, the the Marine uh, DTV sequels. And I think he's just one of, he's, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes next. I know he's got a film called Jet Ski in development. Uh, I think it's called Jet Ski, and uh, I'm not score. I'm not sure what we're going to get from that. But um, yeah, he, um, as as you were saying, you know, I watched this and I was like, wow, I've got to see what this guy does next. I mean, he's he's really young guy as well. I think I'm, I, I he uh, I think he's like in his early twenties maybe when he when he made. When he made this, I, I, can't, I can't verify because I'm not, I'm not sure, but he looks really young. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, um, he, done, he hadn't done a huge amount. Yeah, he had, know, he had only done Tower Block prior to this. And yeah, he's if you look at the special features. Which did, did he co-direct that? No, that was, that was all him. Because uh, uh, IMDB gives a name of another, somebody else. As so far as I sure know, at least that's all him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he was a baby. Um, and you know, and jet skis in post-production, but again, uh, listeners will know they just announced he is currently shooting in Suffolk one shot, a, a one shot action movie with Scott Ryan Phillippe and act and Ashley green. Um, he and Scott man are two that I just, you know, for people that listened when Jay Skipworth and I did our, our, tournament episode it's like mm. these guys are fucking great and uh you know jay mentioned he wants scott mann to be the next james bond director and uh, i couldn't argue with that and i want james nunn to be like the next after christopher uh mcquarrie's done i want james nunn to be the next next mission impossible director because i just think the only thing that holds both of them back is budgets. If you gave them $150 million, oh my God, man, I want to see the movies they can make. Yeah, especially uh, Scott Mann's uh, final you know, final score, I loved. That, that was great. Uh, I didn't see Heist, which uh, was the film he did with Robert De Niro. Also. Heist is great, Dave dude. You need, yeah. to, you need to see Heist. Heist is a lot of fun. It doesn't quite hold together. I think it's the worst of his, you know, sort of three major movies, but it's still terrific. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, it's definitely, there's some a fan, a fantastic talent, you know, in front of, behind the camera and, and it's great that Scott is working, you know, starting with Green Street, that he was able to, you know, work more. Because Green Street 3, had, there's a through line from that for, to, to so many, to all the other stuff that he's done. Well, not all the other, but, you know, like he did Eliminators, uh, which uh, unfortunately he had to put on an American accent for, but it was another film shot you know around london all like um green street three has got a very very much a sense of the location the lots of um i mean it's filmed where it, you know it's where it is it, it, and the uh 
the um, establishing shots. There's loads of shots of you know the uh, cable cars that go across Greenwich and the the, uh, um, the O2, what they call the O2 now, the Millennium Dome, as it was originally called. And uh, you know the the cable cars even you know Scott got to do a great fight in that, which you'll obviously you'll come to later. The um, but he did uh, what was the um, accident man? He ultimately ended up doing his passion projects with uh, Jesse over here and Avengement again, another big step forward, another British British gangster kind of movie, uh, completely different to to green street three i mean you put you watch sit with someone down and put green street three and avengement on you know you're going to show this guy's range uh, and and you're going to you know the enjoy the you know the range of the british gangster movie uh, as well you know you've got the, the the hardened criminal type tale on one side and and the uh the sort of the hooligan uh, tales on the left both obviously involve um family relationships at the court you know the brother you know the brother in one case the brother's been killed in the other case the brother is actually the one doing the bad stuff to him um but also legacy of lies recently which uh, came you know from coming from a director that i wasn't familiar with adrian boll was you know a big surprise you know because I, I expected some you know because the, the quality varies obviously with some of scott's films i wasn't i wasn't taken with seized but um, like James Nunn, uh, the um, Legacy of Lies was just a beautifully put together film as far as I was concerned. And I don't think that we would have had these films in their form if it wasn't for Green Street 3. You know, I, you know, being that door opening, you know, entry point of uh, coming into British cinema. Well, and that's that's like that's such a great point, because what I love about this movie is. It's so unabashedly British. And I, I have said repeatedly, I and I said it when we started recording, the British new wave of action is the best action that's being done in the world right now. And so you have this sort of series of Green Street 3 and Eliminators and Accident Man and Avengement and Legacy of Lies that are all unabashedly British and I love it because I like I I want to show these pe these movies to people who so that I can say there's more to British cinema than Danny Boyle and Guy Ritchie like and, and that there is this whole wave and this this whole group of directors Ross and James Nunn and Jesse Johnson and Scott Mann and Cecily Fay and you know and in stunts you know Bo Fowler and uh you know just, just express delivery and stuff yeah yeah is so many oh it's loads of great short films as well fantastic yeah, yeah England is just killing it on the short films lately um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, I love it because I do think you're right. I think the idea that Green Street 3 is so unabashedly British really does make, we don't necessarily get some of these other movies, uh, because Scott's British. I mean, we all, he he and I have talked about his American accent and, and we've talked about all these things and it's like, 
I love movies where he gets to just, whether it's like this one, like you said, where he's affecting a London accent, not a Birmingham accent, but he's still at least British. And I love movies where he gets to be British because the action movies that I grew up on, you know, the Hong Kong movies, and even now things like the raid that are so inherently Indonesian. I, England literally owns the greatest action star in the world right now, in my humble opinion. Um, so I want him to be making British action movies. And even if you don't think it's Scott, guess what? You know who it is? It's Jason Statham. Like England owns the two best action stars in the world right now. And so I love when I see these movies that are just unabashedly British. I had to ask you about Firms because I don't know. But you know what? I didn't care because I still got the movie. I was like, okay, these are guys that support these soccer teams. And now they have these organized fights. It didn't make the movie any less fun for me. I just wanted to ask you because you're the first British person other than Scott I've had on the show. So I wanted to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and as as I was saying, you know, the... um... The fact that you know making Green Street a very British film, and yeah, it is. Uh, it's a point of pride, as you know, as he is what is he's one of ours. You know, it's exciting to see uh, him being able to to be a British personality, to be a, a British action star, and not have to uh, you know try to be try to come across as an American action star or or, or something, which was you know how he's generally, I think you know, the impression they were trying to market him as, you know, which was something Gary Daniels never had to do, which was, you know, it's it so exciting, whatever reason, I don't know. As far as I know, Gary Daniels, who in all his many films, has never played any, you know, has ever, never done an accent other than his own. Um, but, it, you know, again, marketplace is different and stuff. So maybe that's why they felt that, um, you know, and point of, uh, you know, from an acting standpoint, you know, I'm sure... Uh, Scott's keen to play, you know, um, people uh, from different, you know, from different countries and stuff. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, that's, that was exciting because, you know, for a long time we, you know, we'd had Gary Daniels and he kind of disappeared a a bit, you know, he he came back a bit in the 2010s more, but we, we hadn't had a, a British action hero, you know, being proper British action hero, you know, apart from, Jason, you know, Jason Statham obviously started out again. They were sort of pushing him with an American accent, but by the time Transporter Two came round, he was allowed to just do his do his own thing, which was great. So yeah, the, Jason Statham and Scott Atkins, very exciting for me personally as, as a as a fan of action movies and as someone who wants to encourage someone, you know, be excited about, um, you know. Um, someone from our you know from our own country and, and doing really well and the same as you know i see the the same thing with like ross boyask you know he's with um funnily enough vengeance is uh, or i am vengeance also has the um coming back to uh, not his brother but coming back to to sort of find out yeah, what happened coming, to, coming back to, to uh, <laughs> i guess but yeah. which also nodded to get cut get carter i know that, that's where he got that from as well um but you know all these films sort of getting more on the world stage really you know and then scott atkins you know getting 
getting the you know triple threat for example you know being a part of this massive ensemble you know gets to be a, a hugely high profile film that um you know is uh, probably a lot of people are probably drawn to that for, for scott adkins role in it as much as for any of the other guys and it's a huge cast uh, and, and a good villain role for him and uh, I, I haven't seen it man four but obviously that that was another you know great exciting development to happen but uh yeah, I, I, we are so. I think we're really, you know, as as obviously your your great podcast testifies, we're we're very lucky to have Scott and to have him have you know the passion and drive that he's had to to make all these films, which you know, as with all you know uh, performers, you know, requires a hell of a lot. Uh, and it's you know when we look at the. Um, you know the Boyka films and stuff, especially what what they were able to accomplish. You know when Scott was massive, <laughs> when his muscles were huge and, and stuff in some of those films. You know the, the commitment uh, and that the, he's growing as 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 an actor as much as you know as much as we say like Jean Claude Van Damme has. You know he started out with you know just the just the pure action kind of roles but he's you know he's done his own weathered you know he's perfected that now and and scott with films like avengement is is definitely developing his character acting skills you know playing the sort of the not just playing the handsome hero like in you know like tar target 2 or you know something so yeah it's, it's uh, i'm very i'm very excited about everything that scott does really well and that's what i'm saying man it's not just scott but it's it's i just think (sighs) there's a lot of talent in your country right now richard for Mm. action there is the stunt teams are insane the actors are insane the directors are insane there is (laughs) i just i'm feeling like and that's why I've I've thrown that gauntlet down so much because you know what? In ten years, I want to be able to say I fucking told you so. Um, you know, I want to be the guy that can say I was there at the beginning. Uh, I watched James Nunn and Jesse V. Johnson and Scott Mann and Ross Boyask and Cecily Fay and Scott Adkins and Bo Fowler and. You know, all these people just come up and really own, you know, I remember I I was actually just talking to somebody and I feel bad. I never like to be negative on this show, but I was just talking to somebody the other day. I sent them a link for Fatal Deviation, you know, Ireland's first Mm -hmm. uh, martial arts film, which is basically the room of martial arts films. Uh, And thinking about that versus uh ross's you know 10 dead men and how much talent is on display in the first in ross's first movies versus fatal deviation which i don't know if you like that movie but i i am not a fan um and just i haven't seen it yet but i do think it's uh it's interesting the the guy who was the lead in it uh james bennett or or, um, yeah, James Bennett. He's gone on to have a, a a pretty successful career in you know 
part, I don't know if it's on on the back of the sort of notoriety of that film, but he he was in a Steven Seagal's film Attrition, yep, uh, a couple of years ago, and he's well, turned up in a few the, other places. The one thing I will say about Fatal Deviation is seized. The, he was in Seized with Scott Atkins. Seized, of course he was. Yep. The, the <laughs> yeah. talent of the talent of the martial artists is not in doubt. The talent mm. of the filmmakers is something else but uh but you know ross like left for dead 10 dead men you know you look at scott man doing the tournament oh my god like there's just i am envious of you living in a country that uh is really on the cusp of just blowing up i mean just absolutely and it may not i can't predict but I will be very sad if English action doesn't just explode in the next few years. Um, because the other thing is, you know, Scott is not young anymore. He's my age. Uh, but there's got to be a lot of kids in London and Birmingham and Suffolk and wherever who are growing up on Scott Adkins movies the way I grew up on Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and are killing themselves right now to do kicks and flips and all of those things. And so it's a snowball effect that is going to be rolling. And I really do legitimately believe that England is going to be the action capital of the world for a while. Uh, I I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, eight seven eleven, Eric Jacobus, and you know, there's uh, America's still very much the the dominant action force. I think I don't I don't, I don't know. If, I think we're we're doing well. Uh, I you know we're lucky. Um, we're, we're great. We've got like things like the Fighting Spirit Film Festival where we can actually go and you know see some of these f films and, and you know meet some of the people who've made them you know I, for example scott adkins i met at the um uh, fighting spirit a couple of years ago now you should definitely come over for that by the way in the um if you ever can it's, yeah uh, it's I, a great I, event. I absolutely 100 percent want to come to Spy fighting spirit i mean that's <laughs> well and that's actually one of the reasons that i'm saying that because you mentioned 87 you're right we have 87 11 that's I'm going to put a feather in my cap as an American. We do have 8711. Uh but you know who just joined 8711? Real Deal Action who I was talking about earlier. So it's mm -hmm. not so much like 8711 is inherently homegrown. Eric, I love Eric. I love Dennis. I love all the stunt people, but Eric's now doing mocap you know, for video games. And mm -hmm. so I'm not so sure that they're necessarily going to be the in the game the way that, that some of these other folks are. Uh, but either way... No, I think you're right. I think the... I think, you know, the for the main... For the most part, you know, it's... It's your Keanu Reeves and your Charlie Theron kind of approach of training up, you know, actors to to do the action, which is what way a, a lot of it's done. A lot of it has been done in the past, and uh, 
you know, even though you've got some new practitioners themselves, like Wesley Snipes, but um, yeah, the, the sort of, I think that's the, that's, I think that's one of the, I don't know why Scott Adkins is not breaking out in, well, I think I do know. I think he's, he's, he's been pigeonholed. You know, I don't think he'll, it's like, you know, in criminal, you know, he's got that supporting role or whatever. And, and a few other things that he's turned up in. He hasn't had a, he, he's not able to get out of where he is the DT, to, to the big, to the big leagues, to be Jason Statham, because I think that they, they look at him as, you know, a cult figure, not a mainstream, not a guy with mainstream potential. And I hope that changes. That would be amazing to see him, you know, so, you know, that was what, you know, seeing like expendables, uh, two was you know great seeing him seeing him turn up in that in the same way that it was great seeing Gary Daniels turn up in the first one. Yeah, yep. but it's it's not good. It's there's a there's a perception of the the certain performers in certain environments, and it's hard to to get them into you know that it, it very rarely happens. You know, it's more likely to be somebody's plucked from obscurity. Let's say Rain get you know the korean singer gets taken and put in ninja assassin you know like i can't see a, a a big warner brothers film putting scott atkins in the lead and they should but it's a sh- i don't think they will it's a shame yeah perfect example is sony just announced they're making a uh craven the hunter you know the spider-man villain craven the hunter movie and i was mm-hmm. i went a little bit viral because i was like uh on twitter because i was like um all right, let's see. We have a character who is Russian in peak physical condition. Why are we not just fucking casting Boyka? Like, why are we even thinking about anybody else but Scott Adkins? Uh, like, he even has, like, Craven has, like, the mustache and the goatee. It's, which is, lit- like, Boyka's literally Craven the Hunter. So why are we even thinking about casting anybody else? But you're right. It's never going to be that. And I think about that with, again, with people like uh, Jean-Paul Lai or uh, Bo Fowler or, you know, so many of these actors that we, you and I really know and love and watch and it's just so sad because I want them. I just want them to get their Marvel money, you know, and I'm not even like a like. I'm a big Marvel fan, but it's not even so much that I want to see them in the next Spider-Man movie. It's I want them to get paid because they're killing themselves for our entertainment. And I want them to get paid. Uh, and I've talked to quite a few of these folks as part of this podcast and you know frankly they probably make less money than i do uh and i think that's bullshit because they kill themselves for our entertainment and uh one of the things i love about and i'm gonna give listeners of this podcast a shout out i love that you all are action fans and you love these people and you respect what they do it's why i do not have the biggest podcast in the world but i have one of the most dedicated audiences in the world because we are all on the same page 
as far as this stuff goes. Um, all right, Richard, we've been going on for almost two hours now, which makes it approximately 2 a.m. in your neck of the woods. Uh, quarter past one. <laughs> So, um, I am going to say, uh, let's start wrapping this up. Uh, normally I will ask guests, uh, to give me three Adkins recommendations, but we've covered so many of his movies. Uh, what I want to do instead is ask you, give me three British action movie recommendations. Ooh, well... I am Vengeance Retaliation is is definitely one that people should see. It's it's low budget, but they've they've managed to achieve a hell of a lot. It's got excellent choreography and the cinematography in it is is excellent as well. Some really nice, um, uh, you know, sparse locations. You know, like warehouse kind of you know sort of locations, but they they just managed to lend them so well. Um, and Katrina Durden and everyone brilliant in that film obviously Vinnie Jones uh the what else um well for if anyone's not seen following the James Nunn line I'd say you know Eliminators is I mean Scott Adkins obviously is associated but the that's 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 something that people must see I'm not familiar with his marine movies well I've seen one of them I've seen I've seen five, but I haven't seen six. I didn't like five, I'll be honest. But six, I'm very interested in because it was, I believe it was filmed over here, so that intrigues me. Um, but it it it, it was going to have a it was going to have a disc release, and then I think it got pulled, and so it had a digital only. And so I haven't actually um, caught up with it. Um, yeah, it's. I'll be honest. I, I thought you might ask this, and I was, I was, I was trying to think of what really, ex, you know, what's re, what's really good to recommend, and uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm stumped. I'm, what, what I would say though is, um, can if I can, because action is there's there's not a lot of action. If I can, can I sort of veer towards, uh, you know, the more gangster side of things. <laughs> that's a bit easier yes uh i'm gonna let you do that because of course i will let you but before we get to that um i do want to say marine six is in spite of the fact that i hate the ending uh is better than five and uh yeah y'all we didn't really give credit where credit's due uh britain also gave us Stu bennett who i i am a big wrestling fan I loved him as Wade Barrett, but I love him even more as an actor. I am Vengeance Retaliation is great. He's a great villain in Eliminators. I think Stu Bennett might be, one again, one of the next big action stars that we are, you know, waiting to see because he is so charismatic and so entertaining on the screen. Um... I, I just I love him. I think he's terrific. So the on the so there's a guy called Jonathan Softcott who's uh, produced a large number of British gangster movies with a you know significant quotient of action in, um, and I particularly like 
the film We Still Kill the Old Way, which was designed to um, ride a wave of, you know, it's that there, there was a, a Michael Caine film called Harry Brown, which you probably saw, uh, which I, I actually haven't seen yet, but it's that whole old guy versus the young guys kind of kind of thing. And We Still Kill the, the Old Way is old British gangsters versus young thugs. Uh, a, bit, a bit, you know, sort of a bit like the, the football hooligan type type of gangs. Uh, that's that's. I think that's a really good film. The sequel, unfortunately, seems to have had budget cuts and stuff, so it doesn't go where the where the climax of the first film sort of indicates it was going to go. It, it goes in a different direction, which and it feels a bit cheaper. But we still call the old ways really good. Uh, and some of the films uh, that Softcott's done with Paul Tanter. I think are quite interesting. Uh, Rise and Fall of a White Collar Hooligan, the first two films I actually, I, I really quite liked. Uh, I'm interested in what he does with uh, his frequent collaborator Simon Phillips. They they did a they did horror movies and everything. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Not always successful, but it, you know, interesting. You know uh, what they're trying to achieve. They're usually working with very low budgets, and. Um, Jonathan Softcott's got a film called Nemesis coming out, uh, which I'm really interested in seeing. And he's working on uh, a film with Daniel Zerilli as director called Renegades, which is written by a guy I know from the DTV Digest, uh, who came, uh, a guy called uh, Tom Jolliffe, great guy. Uh, he he wrote, wrote the script for that, and it's going to have Lee Majors and Danny Trejo and a whole bunch of other people. It's a very exciting prospect. Uh, you know, it's which is going to be basically like we still kill the old way, but with uh, soldiers. So that's going to be much more of an action movie. So I'm particularly excited about that. So it's all about where things are going. I think. I think the uh, the action, pure action films, there haven't been as many. It's still very much dominated by uh, the crime film, sort of uh, you know hooligan films and and stuff like that. But we're moving towards much more uh, action, and hopefully Renegades will be another big step forward although it, you know say it's not purely british because um, american director but um you know that's that's that there's nothing wrong with that but uh, i love the i love the idea of lee majors running around london or something as uh, uh, you know, i know i know he's an elderly fella now but that would be that should be pretty cool so i have to admit i've never heard of we still kill the old way but i just added it to my letterboxed watch list and uh and yeah that's what i love about this is i feel like i am on the ground level of a movement. And in 10 years, I'm going to be super excited when England is the premier action country in the world to be able to say, oh, re- oh, oh, really? Well, you know, have you seen We Still Kill the Old Way or have you seen Left for Dead by Ross Boyask? Or let me tell you about the early James Nunn film, Green Street 3. Like, I'm so excited for that so i love those recommendations i am going to make sure to uh the ones i haven't seen i'm going to make sure to to watch them and i'm going to encourage everybody else to watch them uh richard uh, if i uh, just step in what there's another you, one good? go ahead I'm not, I'm, now i'm not going to say it's a great film but i think there's a, there's a, a filmmaker called steve lawson it, it makes a lot, it works with very low budgets makes makes a lot of quite fun you know uh, genre films he did uh, a film with glenn salvage from left for dead called uh, the silencer 
which I think is worth, you know, looking at if you're, if you're interested in, you know, the development, you know, the growth of the British action scene, I think Steve Lawson's stuff is, is well worth having a look at it. Um, Silencer over here is on prime. So it might be on prime over there. So that, that it's, it's, I say it's very low budget. It's at about an hour and 15 minutes long, but it, 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 it's come out of the same movement as, 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 you know, like Ross Boyask's work. So well worth a look. Awesome. Yeah. I will uh, encourage people to check that out. Cause I do love, I mean, Glenn Salvage is so good in Left for Dead. He's, I'm a little disappointed he's not a bigger deal because he is absolutely terrific in Left 4 Dead. Um, so you all have gotten just a a stone cold like batch of awesome movies to watch. Uh, Richard, plug some shit. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm mostly on Twitter. You can find me under uh, uh, DTV. I think it's DTVRSH. Uh, if I've got that right, um, I was confused myself whether it's RTV or RSA. It's just my initials and, and the DTV. So, uh, or, or look up the DTV Digest. Uh, I operate that account as well. Um, that's where we post things like the. Um, we, I obsessively look at what the DTV chart is and what the what the new releases are. So I post about that as well as obviously links to our latest episodes when they go live uh, post on the, we've got Facebook on, uh, on the DTV digest as well. So yeah, that's probably the, the best place to find us. If you, if you fancy but any support is always uh, really appreciated. And uh, I will tell you, this show doesn't exist without DTV digest. This show doesn't exist without Richard's support. Uh, so please check them out because if you like what I'm talking about, you're 100% going to like what they're talking about because they're, I have the luxury of talking about these movies, you know, five, 10 years after the fact they're right out there since these movies are coming out. So, uh, please, if you follow me, follow DTV digest, follow Richard, listen to the DTV digest podcast. Uh, you won't, uh, you will not be disappointed. I promise you on that. Uh, Richard, man, we went way long, but goddamn, this was exactly what I wanted this episode to be. I was so excited to talk to you about this movie. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, I'm going to let you go because you got to go to bed. So uh, <laughs> so have a wonderful night, and uh, and I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Take care, Mike. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thanks to Richard, and a thanks, as always, to Scott. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram and email me and find all of those links at linktree slash Pod. Next week, I'm joined by the great Ryan Boyd of the Rank and Vile podcast to talk re-kill, so make sure to bring your ears, your podcast app of choice, and your fucking champion to Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world. <laughs>